it's movement. It's, it's what holds us together and what sends us out. And at the, the center of that is our mission. We want to see people deeply transformed by God's grace through the gospel of King Jesus in Memphis to the ends of the earth. And we've been exploring what that looks like and kind of the values that, that drive that. And it's, it's actually been a great honor to be able to do that with you. Now, a lot of you are in what we call welcome home. It's kind of the, the initiation into Oikos. It's a group environment that has a, a workbook and some assignments that, that go along. And we're really excited to invite the... Does that mean? Okay, I guess so. I don't know. Maybe the Holy Spirit's doing weird stuff with the mic. Where was I? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Welcome Home, we're actually going to start a new edition of Welcome Home for brand new people who haven't gotten a chance to do it yet in the month of May. So we're going to kind of ramp up to that over the next couple of weeks. We're really excited about the next round. But what Welcome Home, the series and the workbook do is just kind of introduce us into how this happens at Oikos Church. And then the last kind of finishing piece is about our shared partnership together and how it all comes together and how we partner together. Now, partnership is probably a fairly new concept because most people don't talk about partnering with a church. They talk about placing membership or they talk about church shopping. And so I want to kind of just set the stage this morning with this tension between partnership and membership. Now, membership is a biblical word. It's, it's there. It's in 1 Corinthians. Um, it's there. It's in Ephesians to be a member of something. But I think there's some things in our culture that make membership seem less than it really is. And partnership is probably a better word to capture what we mean about our life together as, as a church. So you know what I mean when I talk about church shopping? Now, some of you here are like, yeah, I'm church shopping right now. <laughs> what, do you, what do you got for me? Um, membership can have this kind of consumer mindset. Um, I had this really cool dinner the other night uh, with some friends who were members at a country club. And it was nice. It, it was like, because membership has perks. Yes, there's a cost, but there's also kind of all these perks and expectations that go with it. There's this, I'm here to be served. I'm here to be wined and dined. And it's an expectation. But on the other hand, my memberships, it's like, do I have my keys on me? I'm, I'm actually a member of this exclusive club. I want to tell you about it today. You can go down 100 yards. You can become a member at Kroger Grocery Store. And they will give you discounts and coupons. It's like, if you're not a member, it costs like $17 for a loaf of bread. But if you are a member, it's 90% off. And then what's the cost of membership? It's nothing. Nothing, except your information. That's membership today. It costs me nothing. It gets me all these benefits. That's membership. And unfortunately, that kind of consumer model has actually translated into membership at a lot of churches. Where to be a part of a church basically means that I'm here to kind of be wooed. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I'm not wooing anybody right now, am I? It's like, what's wrong with that guy's ear? Is it huge or is it small? <laughs> oh, okay. Should I just restart? I think it can be easy for people to, to kind of act like shoppers. And then, speaking from my side, it can be really easy for pastors and church leaders to act like performers. 
if the goal is to just get people here, to grow the numbers, then instead of truth tellers, instead of people speaking from the word and speaking hard things and challenging, you can just very easily turn into performers and people pleasers. Because if the focus is on programs that attract more people rather than a shared life of mission and discipleship to Jesus, it can just it can get off kilter really fast. And I think we've all seen that happen in, in some churches. So how do we guard against that? Well, I think one way of guarding against that is just kind of on the front end, clarifying what it means to partner with Oikos, to partner with this church family. Because that's not what partnership in the gospel looks like. So what does partnership look like? Well, we've seen what it isn't, so what, what is it? Philippians actually uses this language of partnership in five different ways. And I realized it was five different ways. This week, as I was preparing my sermon, I was like, oh, it's all of the five things that we're asking for partners at Oikos to sign up for, to commit to. I didn't realize that until today. So you, you should know when you're working through the Welcome Home Workbook and it ends in this partnership agreement, um, some of that I, I didn't even realize was straight out of the book of Philippians. But either way, these are just really important kind of shared commitments about what it means to be a part of a body together. So I want to today kind of dive into the letter of Philippians, just four short chapters. You can read this letter in about 10 minutes. We're not going to. Um, I, if you want to read the letter, it'll take about 10 minutes. It's very short. But we're going to really focus in on the couple of times where he uses this language of partnership. And we're going to get a, a, a picture from the New Testament, from one of the apostles himself, Paul, about what it looks like to be partners together in the gospel. And then we'll talk about what that looks like at Oikos. All right, so our first text where this shows up, um, this, this word here, koinonia, shows up, is in Philippians chapter 1. And koinonia is a word that you may have heard. It means something like fellowship or sharing, or participation. But in Philippians, it has this idea of partnership. Let me show you. Um, Paul and Timothy, this is verse 1, page 1011. Servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Do you see who Paul writes this letter to? Does he write it to just the pastor? No. Does he write it to like the, the team leaders and the, the lay leaders? No. He says, I'm, I'm writing this to everybody, to all of God's saints, all of God's holy people, everybody. He's going to actually emphasize this again after he gets to the introduction. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Do you see that phrase there in verse 5? Your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It's this word koinonia. And it's not about benefits in a consumer mindset. This partnership is actually about shared responsibility and participation. In, in the first century, the marriage relationship is most often described with this word koinonia. It's a fellowship. It's a partnership. It's a sharing together. Um, one commentator, he says, far more important than the popular modern idea of a personal association with fellow Christians as he says, this is, it's more than a friendly atmosphere in a public meeting. The term partnership means more than fellowship. It means more than sharing. And it's used five times, and I, I think these are a pretty good picture of what this looks like. Now, let me step out. 
I was thinking of like Taylor. Taylor's a lawyer. He understands what it means to be a partner. I was thinking of some of you who are in the medical field. If you're in a private practice, there are partners. Um, but some of us, it's like, okay, what does it look like to be a partner in something? It means you have some stake in the game. You have much greater responsibility and you have much greater reward. That's what partnership means. You get the full brunt of the responsibility and the full brunt of the benefit, both. Um, but for those who aren't lawyers or uh, have no hope of partnership in kind of your business, um, how about Frodo? Um, in Lord of the Rings, there, there are these, these people who are invited into a fellowship of the ring. You, you know, the, there are all different kinds of, are they people? Some of them aren't human. Okay. They're invited, hobbits are people too. They're invited into this shared fellowship. And it, it's like they have this great distance between them. They have huge differences. But they have a shared mission. And the fellowship of the ring means despite our differences, we have a common goal together. And it is going to cost us all something. But in the cost, there's an amazing reward. There's a deep intimacy and friendship. There's the saving the world mission that's underneath. Some of, I'm glad Reed didn't say nerd, because that's normally what he would do, I think. So what does partnership in the gospel look like? Here, he says, it's from the first day until now, and he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. This is really cool. He says, the gospel did something in our hearts at the beginning, from the first time it was shared. And he says, and I know that if you hold on to the gospel as partners, the gospel, the power of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ can save you. It will be finished by him. This is amazing. It's grace all the way around. He began it. He's going to finish it. This is the power of the gospel into salvation. To be a partner in the gospel is to rely on the grace of God to save us and to finish this work. But there's, a, there's another element. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you, to have you in my heart. Have you in my heart. We're connected. We're partners, after all. I have you in my heart. And so whether I'm in chains or am defending and confirming the gospel. Do you see that phrase at the end of seven? Defending and confirming the gospel. Now, this word defending, it's the word apologia. Have you ever heard of apologetics? It's where you defend the faith, where you defend the gospel. But I think Paul means this quite literally in terms of a legal defense. He has to stand before a judge. Paul's writing from prison. He has to stand before a judge and give his legal defense. They say this is a technical phrase, that he has to give a legal defense of the gospel before kind of the magistrates and the people in power. And he says, so we are in this together. When I stand before the judge, I stand with you in my heart. And when you stand over in Philippi before those magistrates, I, you stand with me because we are partners in the gospel. But do you see how defending and confirming the gospel is part of partnership? Part of a partnership of a church is to defend the gospel, to guard it, to proclaim it, to remind us of who we are, to, to say that this is what unites us. This, it's not just that we're friends with things in common. It's that we are partners in the gospel that he's going to finish his work. That's the first element of what partnership at Oikos looks like. It's a partnership in the gospel. And a partnership in the gospel means that we have to clarify what the gospel is 
defend it, and then proclaim it. In Memphis to the ends of the earth. Okay. The, the second time it shows up is straight there in verse 7. So if you just keep reading after defending and confirming the gospel, you see this second picture, what it looks like to be a partner. But the NIV kind of hides it from us. He says, all of you share in God's grace. Now, share and partner are not the same word. In Greek, they are, though. <laughs> so they have this, this common cognate of koinonia that's still there, and it's still talking about partnership. And our translations sometimes hide it. How, how about this one, though, from the Kingdom New Testament? He says, you are my partners in grace, all of you. That's what this word means, that you are partners in God's grace. How cool is that? To be partnered. We, we've talked about partnership in the gospel, but here, partners in grace. What would that mean, though? What would it entail to be a partner in grace? Now, at Oikos, we've already defined grace as transforming grace. It is free to all, and grace is costly. Grace is free and costly at the same time because it transforms us by the power of the Spirit, by the grace of God, not by our own power, but it does change us. Look at, look at this prayer. He says, I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. He says, I want you to be growing in, in love, knowledge, wisdom. I want you to be changing. Part of being a partner in grace means a commitment to ongoing discipleship. There's three elements to this prayer. This is the first one. It's growth in love transform to love. Here's the second one. He says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Okay, I, I want you to grow in love, but I also want you to grow in your discernment. I want love, but also how you live. But, but look at this third one. This is really cool. Third, I'm praying that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Right living. That's how the Kingdom New Testament translates it. Right living, how you live and how you think and how you love, you've got to be committed to growing in those. That's part of what it means to be partners together in, in grace. We are partners in grace, and we, actually, this fruit metaphor is pretty good. You know, it's, it's about time for seedlings and for gardening. And this is a good metaphor. He says, if you want the fruit of righteousness, you have to plant seed. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he says, if you sow, if you plant seeds to the Spirit, you're going to enjoy a harvest of, of love. It's a commitment, in other words, to sustain long-term discipleship, to putting in time to the care of seeds, to the gardening, to the weeding, to the watering. That's what a commitment to grace looks like. To be partners together, it looks like a, a, a shared partnership to discipleship. Because I think this is really important because most churches that I know of do not ask for a shared partnership in discipleship. They ask for attendance and they ask for giving, but they don't ask for you to become a disciple and to actually have disciplines of sowing to the Spirit. At Oikos, if you want to be a part of the family, that's what we're asking for, a commitment to personal discipleship. And here's why. Because if you're not committed to personal discipleship, then you become a, a, a strain and a drain on the community. Henry Nowen, in one of the articles from our workbook, he says, actually, no, this is Bonhoeffer. Nowen just quotes him. 
Bonhoeffer says, the one who can't be alone should be afraid of community. The one who can't be alone should be afraid of community. You have to have a personal commitment to your ongoing transformation in order to be a healthy part of a community. A partnership in the gospel requires a partnership in discipleship. Third way, if you keep reading in Philippians, this word koinonia or it's cognate is going to show up again at the beginning of Philippians 2. Check out how he uses it here. He actually, I, I think a pretty good frame is to be partners in the family. He says, therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common, this is it, partnership, sharing in the spirit. Partnership in the spirit. What does that mean? He says, if you have a partnership in the spirit, and then you have tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind, he goes on to say, you shouldn't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but each one should think of the interest of others above his own, and you should have the, the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You see, it's a, a unity. It's a oneness. I heard a preacher say one time, he says, some churches love holiness. All you have to do is say, we have it right, everybody else has it wrong. Holiness is easy in a church. You just define it based around exactly what you do. He says, other churches want unity. He says, unity is really easy in a church. All you have to do is say, anything goes. Just come and, and enjoy our, our unity together. He says, but the really hard thing is having both. And to be partners in the spirit looks like a community of people that have a shared commitment to both holiness and unity. This is life, life in the family. We're partners in the same family because of the Spirit of God made us so. Across our differences, and this is the major theme that we've hit in almost every sermon, that despite our differences of race and gender and age, God wants to unite us together in a unified, beloved family. We're partners in the Spirit. We just have to recognize what the Spirit has done. But to be partners in the Spirit in the same family it means that we're brothers and sisters. In fact, in this letter, Paul nine times calls these people his brothers and sisters. Nine times. He spent very little time with these people, but they, he says, we are partners in the spirit. That makes us family. They have this shared possession of the spirit, and they have this shared responsibility. All right, let's keep going. There's five of these. We're through three. We're partners in the gospel. We're, second, we see that we're partners in discipleship. Third, we see that we're partners in the family. But the fourth way he uses it in, is in Philippians chapter 3. And here he says that we're partners in surrender. Now, Michael and Angel, you'll show some really excellent songs to kind of accentuate what I'm trying to say here in this, this fourth way. But in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, whatever, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I might know Christ. You see what he's doing with his identity? He says, I, I had this identity and I gave it all up. So, I gave it up so that I could be surrendered into Christ my Lord. Look how he says it in this next phrase though. I want to know Christ. The song, I Surrender, I want to know you more. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and 
This is our word partnership. I want to know the partnership of his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. You see, he doesn't show up to a church in order to receive. He shows up into a partnership of the community of God so that they can help him surrender. I want to give it up. Part of what it means to be a partner in, in God's family, it's, it's giving up. This is, this is how Jesus talked about following him. He says, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. He says, if you want to find yourself, you have to lose yourself. And in a church community, I think this is kind of the best soil for it. Because here, you can feel and know the tangible love of God through his people. And you can have their eyes and their illumination, their light shining in the dark places of our hearts so that we can be transformed through surrender. And so even when we're experiencing the sufferings of Christ in Oikos community, the hardest times that our families will face, be it infertility or loss or death, be it a, a job that, that's taken away, be it disappointment and failure, those hardest times have the, the best soil for our transformation. Because it's in the sufferings of Christ that we come to experience the fullness of the resurrection of Christ. In a community who is committed to walking through suffering together, we can actually help in that surrender step into who we truly are in him. The fourth aspect of our partnership is a partnership in surrender. That I am not here for me. I'm here to humble myself and submit myself to him. To God be the glory in all things. Finally. The last way that partnership is used, it's a partnership in ministry. This is the last chapter, Philippians chapter 4, and this is really Paul's occasion for writing. Um, Paul is a missionary. He's been imprisoned in a far-off place. and He knows these people. He helped plant this church in the, in the home of Lydia, uh, somebody that he baptized when he met her down at the river. But now, since the beginning, they've been fundraising for him. They've, they've been sending him cash. In fact, he's had a friend named Epaphroditus who came from this church, and he came with a, a, a lot of cash for him. It's dangerous to travel with a lot of cash in the ancient world. And along the way, Epaphroditus, it seems that he got sick. He was on the verge of dying. It, it may have been sickness. It may have been somebody assaulted him. We're not exactly sure. But he says, it was good of you to, to, to have that partnership. This is our word, to share in my trouble, to partner in my trouble, to share in what I'm doing over here. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, he says, not one church, this is the word partner, not one church partnered with me in the matter of giving and receiving. Nobody was funding me except you, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in the, here you're reading somebody's mail. This, this really happened. There was a missionary named Paul who was an apostle called by Christ Jesus who was planting churches in the Mediterranean world and this was the church that partnered with him. Guys, I need to say that Highland Church of Christ here in Memphis is a huge financial partner of Oikos Church. That I, the Lord would have opened another way had they closed that door, but they have been abundantly generous from the beginning of the work of Oikos. I am deeply grateful. We would not be in this way without the partnership of that, of that good church, our brothers and sisters in that place. And there's this part of me that finally kind of understands the 
sense of gratitude for what that is like to be able to write to a church and say, ah, you were there for me. Nobody else was, but you were there for me, Paul says. That happened. But now he's saying, it's not just a church, though. He says, you, individuals, y'all were partnering with us. Guys, I can't tell you the names. They've asked us not to. But there have been some extremely generous donors who have poured out of of just an abundance of the grace of God's treasure chest in the form of financial dollars. There are people here who have given, here in this room today, who have given sacrificially, who are stretching in order to make a gift to Oikos. It's really cool. And Paul says that that kind of giving from churches and from individuals, he says that's a partnership. That's this word, it's a sharing, it's a participation. It's a partnership in ministry together. Because it's not like your dollar just goes off into the void of the internet and online giving. It goes out into the lives of real people and into the cost of real ministry. Every week we have opportunities where someone in the Oikos family is asking a question about, can we do this? Can we do this? Is it going to cost this? Do we have enough for this? Your money, although I understand you don't get the you don't get the personal first-hand experience of what it looks like for your dollars to go into ministry, but they do go into ministry, and that's a partnership, he says. Partnership in ministry. And Paul says one of the key ways is in giving and receiving financially. He says, not that I desire your gifts. Look at how he talks about their financial gifts. What I desire is that it be more than that credited to you. You see, it's a financial metaphor. I want it to credit to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering. The temple, this is your gifts, your dollars, your partnership in ministry is like where you lay an offering of sacrifice before the Lord and it goes up to him and he receives it. He says, it's not just a gift that helps in ministry, that bears fruit in church planting, in other words. When you give, he says, it's actually an investment in your spiritual account with God. Now, it's not one-to-one. We're not selling indulgences for the sake of Oikos Church. That's not what's happening. But he says, they are pleasing to God. They're a fragrant offering, acceptable, pleasing to God. And he says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He says, God is going to fill up the coffers again. He's going to fill us up by the grace of, of King Jesus. So you see those, those elements. I just kind of want to walk through what those look like at Oikos in one tight kind of summary. Now, some of you are here for the first time. You're not ready for partnership. Let me say, I'm just so grateful you're here. No rush on the partnership. Um, partnership, I want it to, to mean an investment, a shared responsibility. And if you're not ready to take on responsibility, you are still welcome here. We, we love that you're here. Um, others of you are really weighing kind of your partnership level. Do I have enough? Do I have what it takes? Am I really gifted? Can I, can I give in the ways that he's talking about the, in that generosity? I want to say yes. Each person is gifted by God's grace in unique ways and can bring those to bear in a, in a community. But mostly, I think most of you, you're very interested in partnership. But you just have never been asked to partner before. You don't know what that actually means in a church because it's just like, well, I, I 
started going, and then I said yes to membership, and then they put me in a bulletin or put my picture up front. But what if it means more? It's a little intimidating. Let me just lay out what it means, and I think you'll find this is exactly what you want in your spiritual journey. First, there's a partnership in the gospel. For the Oikos Church, that means we have to kind of define and defend the gospel. And a part of that is having a shared statement of faith. Now, our statement of faith basically looks like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, which is to say it's an ancient, historic kind of understanding of our shared faith together. It's not denomination-specific. This is the essentials of the faith are what we guard. It's the gospel that we proclaim at the table every week that unites us and makes us family. And so the gospel needs to be defined and defended. We ask that if you're a part of this partnership at Oikos, that you're committed to the gospel, to defending the gospel, to confirming the gospel, and to sharing the gospel. That's what partnership in the gospel looks like. The second, the second piece of partnership is to be partners in discipleship. And for us, that looks like up, in, and out. Up in terms of our relationship to God, in in terms of our relationship with one another, and out in terms of our relationship before the world. It, it looks like disciplines. Habits. Paul says we're partners in grace, but grace has a transforming effect. And so we sow seeds to grace, trusting that in those, God will change us, change our community, and he will change the world. It's a commitment to personal disciplines. At Oikos, we call these the transforming graces. So Paul's language of partners in grace, for us, looks like partners in the graces. It's a set of habits that are drawn from the life of Jesus. We're actually, next week, starting a series on the graces, so you'll know more about them. But it's give thanks, reflect on the word, ask deeper questions, commune with God, eat together, and serve your neighbor. In those disciplines, I think the work of God is activated in special ways. Commitment to the gospel, commitment to discipleship. Next one is to be partners and committed to the family. Basically, we're saying that a church isn't just people who worship together on Sundays. We're family who lives together in community, who is a part of open tables, not just here on a Sunday, but where we share meals together, where everybody chips in, where we're part of one another's lives, where our kids know you, and you know our kids, and we're involved in one another's lives in really special ways. That's... That's what we mean by partners in the family. All right, fourth one, we mean partners in surrender. Partners in surrender. In other words, we all come here to surrender to the cause of Christ. We put our identities before him and we say, would you help us live out who you say we are, not kind of the twisted, distorted parts of my own identity that try to creep up, that operate from performance and perfection and people-pleasing. Not those parts of my identity, not the parts of my identity that are rooted in my own desires, but will you help me surrender my identity to Christ and find out who I really am? A life in community means that we come together, and it means one of the greatest gifts that you can offer me is in love and gentleness, help me see where I can surrender. In in patience and over time, we can help one another surrender more fully. That's part of partnership. All right, fifth, last one is to be partners in ministry. There is a financial component here that if you're part of the Oikos family and you're partnered, we do ask that you make ongoing gifts. Um, 
we say it every week in our generosity liturgy. We are concerned about the state of our hearts when it comes to generosity. We're concerned about the expectations of how you'll answer to God. But we are also concerned about the real tangible ministry that needs to happen here in Memphis to the ends of the earth. All of that requires us to give. But it's not just give money. Part of being partners in ministry means that you bring your gifts to bear. And so if you're part of the Oikos family, we're going to sign you up to, on a volunteer role at least once a month. Um, unless you have like some physical uh, limitation that doesn't allow you to do much of anything. We want to find ways for you to serve this community. What else is a community except people who serve one another? Now, I started this morning by saying that sometimes membership and partnership get confused. And membership looks like benefits with no cost. And now after listening to me for however long I talk, uh, you may be thinking, well, that's a lot of responsibilities with no reward. <laughs> Where's the benefit? So can I just kind of lay out what might happen if you were to partner with a community of God's people like this? Just think about what might happen with you. What might happen in your own spiritual journey? I know that you are here, you woke up, that you, you cut out time from your life because you love the Lord. You want to be in his fullness. And I think the greatest path towards experiencing the fullness of God is through partnership in God's people. Wouldn't it be beautiful if, if in a year, if in five years, if in ten years, you look back on a week like just a normal Sunday, you look back on a week like this where you started considering really partnering with the community, really investing, making commitments. Guys, I can almost guarantee that if you look back in a year after experiencing partnership, you will look back and you will experience you will experience the love of the community more deeply. You will experience the hands and the feet of God in more tangible ways. I can almost guarantee. I can't guarantee. I'm, I'll leave that up to the Lord. But this is the, best, this is the best soil. This is the best seed. You and your transformation, your deeper walk with God. But then how might that start informing your relationships, your marriage, your parenting? think, to have your kids grow up to know the Lord and to be surrounded by a community of faith. It, it's speaking from personal experience, it's awesome. Um, we have some first-timers here. I think my son was with you. We had kids running over here to experience people who were almost like grandparents. And then we have literal grandparents. It's just this web of, of what it's like to be loved. And I know you want that for your family. You want that for you. And it may be slow. It may be slower for you than for other people. But that comes as a, as a fruit of this. There's this personal transformation that happens. But then it can also transform you, your relationships, your family. But maybe the most special thing is when we start kind of scaling that and think about what that might could do in Memphis to the ends of the earth. To see a community of 100, 150 people who meet every week grow and then multiply and then we start seeing people who were far from the Lord, who were lost in their own identities, who were, who were trapped by addictions, who can experience the grace of God and, and find the love of a community. And then over time, that love has this transforming effect. And so you start seeing outposts of the kingdom pop up around the city. And then from the city, then they start seeing people who hear a call to go abroad. 
where we start noticing what God is doing in another part of the world, and then we can partner there as well. It starts having a global impact because of what happens. And the reason I can say this with confidence, it's not because of the the one who stands before you or because of the people in the room, but it's because of the power of the gospel, and we've already seen it happen. This is the way the church spread, through partners in the gospel where God was working through them, where each one was surrendering themselves and their finances and their families to the cause of the gospel of Christ and the kingdom of God. It's, it's happened. May it be so again in Memphis to the ends of the earth. That's, I'm, that's, that's the hope, right? That, that's what gets me excited. That's why we're here. And I just pray that it would happen. Would you stand and I'll, I'll offer Paul's prayer in Philippians chapter 1, kind of as a benediction. At the end, if you could just go get your kids fairly quickly. I know they've been in there a while. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen.